This is the moment, isn't it, that Abraham and Sarah have been waiting for for 25 years. And here we are reading it at last. So Genesis chapter 21. And let's begin reading at verse 1. We read, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a, a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. In the preface to his devotional work, The Checkbook of the Bank of Faith, Charles Haddon Spurgeon wrote, A promise from God may be compared to a check payable to order. It is given to the believer with the view of bestowing upon him some good thing. It is not meant that he should read it over comfortably and then have done with it. No, he is to treat the promise as a reality, as a man treats a check. 
He is to take the promise and endorse it with his own name by personally receiving it as true. He is by faith to accept it as his own. He sets to it his seal that God is true and true as to this particular word of promise. He goes further and believes that he has the blessing in having the sure promise of it and therefore he puts his name to it to testify to the receipt of the blessing. This done, he writes, he must believingly present the promise to the Lord as a man presents a check at the counter of the bank. He must plead it by prayer, expecting to have it fulfilled. We continue our series in Genesis tonight and the point of the passage we just read is simply this. God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. We saw this morning how God keeps his promises. God fulfills them through his son, Jesus Christ. And tonight we see that God keeps his promises. None of us should mind a bit of overlap between this morning and this evening because the promises of God are the lifeblood of faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. We can't hear enough of the promises of God and of the promise-keeping nature of God. Now, we've been out of Genesis for a a few weeks, so do just let me remind us of where we've been Uh, so far. Abram, or Abraham, as he's now called in our study, has been really front and center of our study, from a human perspective at least, since Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis 12, verses 1 and 3 to 3, God said, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then in chapter 13 verse 16 God said to him, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth your offspring also can be counted. Then in chapter 15, verse 5, and God brought Abram outside and said, look towards the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And in chapter 17, God said to Abraham regarding Sarah, his wife, I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? And that's the age of Abraham in Genesis chapter 21. So think about that from Genesis 12 to Genesis 21 is a span of 25 years, 75 in Genesis 12, 100 in Genesis 21. But despite the wait, 
And despite all of the doubt along the way, and despite all of the mishaps of faith with Hagar and then with e- in Egypt and all of those mishaps of faith, God kept his promises as he always does. Abraham's God is our God. And that's an encouragement to us, isn't it, tonight? And Genesis 21 is so essential for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ tonight because faith in God's promises is the only way to persevere in the Christian life. We might have our techniques. We might have our strategies of turning away from sin and walking to heaven But unless we believe that God and his promises are better than the claims of the flesh and the world and the devil, then our techniques and our strategies will not last, will not go the distance. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. An evil, unbelieving heart. It's unbelief that causes people to fall away from the living God and therefore faith in God's promises can enable us to persevere. If you're here today then and you feel like you are nowhere spiritually and you can feel your fingers dropping off the ledge to which they are holding, can I say this? The culprit is doubt. The culprit is always doubt. The solution, therefore, is faith. And so the need of the hour is for us to hear, receive, and believe the promises of God. Every one of them applied to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Forgetting all the false claims of the world and holding on to what God has said. God keeps his promises. So I want us to see first the promise kept to Sarah. Do look with me again at verses 1 to 8 in Genesis 21. Let's just read these verses again. It says, The Lord visited Sarah as he said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. You remember that God appeared to Abraham, didn't he, in Abraham's tent? And he said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the door. Well, here we are at that fulfilled moment. Verse 3, Abraham called the name of his son who was born born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Isaac, which means he laughs. Verse 4, and Abraham circumcised his son. Isaac, when he was eight days old, and God had commanded him, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. That is a laugh of amazement and of celebration. And she said, verse 7, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. 
So against all odds, against all hurdles, against all barriers, and after the long wait, which would have, must have felt like an eternity, 25 years, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and he did to Sarah as he had promised. He gave her the ability to be able to conceive. God kept his promise to Sarah. And yet, the, the reality was, the truth is, Isaac was only the beginning of the fulfillment of this promise, wasn't it? Because God had promised, more numerous than the stars in the sky will be your descendants. Isaac was the very first. And through faith in Jesus Christ, we are the rest. The rest in the sky. God kept his promise not only in the birth of Isaac, but in our rebirths as well, when we were born again. Remember, Paul says that in Galatians 3, doesn't need to a bunch of Gentiles, amazingly, and in God's providence, the same Gentiles that got saved in our passage this morning in Acts 13. He said, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith. The question for us tonight, friends, is this. Are we as amazed at our rebirths as Sarah was at Isaac's natural birth? Are we amazed? That when we consider Isaac's name, laughter, a laugh that says, who would have thought in a million years? And when we think about Sarah saying, Everyone's going to laugh over me, not a laugh of scorn, but a laugh of what in the world happened to you? Do we think, yeah, God made laughter for me too when he saved me and when he made me a descendant of Abraham right there with, with Isaac? I've heard one of you telling your testimony and you, like, you say sometimes that back then when I was an unbeliever, if I could have pulled God out of heaven and stuck a dagger in his chest, I would have done but not now. That's not who you are anymore. Everything's changed. Because why? You were born again. And your new birth is every bit as miraculous as Isaac's natural birth. I don't mean to make anything weird for us all tonight, but in a, in a way it's a little bit more amazing. Because Abraham and Sarah had a part to play, shall we say. We didn't. We just heard the gospel and God raised us to life. And that should amaze us. It should make us laugh. Tears of joy. I remember my uh, manager in California one day just showed up to work in this white Tesla, fully electric. I thought it could fly. It can't fly. But he, he showed me on his phone how you can open the Tesla app and you can move the car when you're not in the car. And you can bring it to wherever you are in the car park to pick you up. And you can turn it on. And I remember we were driving once. And we were both sat in the front. And he pressed the self-drive. And going over a bridge with six lanes of traffic below his, he just took his hands off the wheel. And it just drove for him. And he told me once that 
at the end of a long day at work, he would get into his car, he would fall fast asleep, and he would wake up in his drive an hour away. He's a Christian, shame on him. That's illegal, <laughs> by the way. But I remember, I remember him saying once to me when we, were, when we were driving in the Tesla, he said, you know, the novelty does wear off quite quickly, and it's just another thing that you own. It's just your car. We all have a car. The amazement wore off, and it was just another possession. And friends, that loss of amazement can happen to us when it comes to our miraculous new births in Jesus Christ. And friends, that is a devastating problem. We should be laughing, but instead we're sulking. We should be laughing with tears of joy, and instead we're worried about the most human, earthly, mundane things in all the world. We're not as grateful to the Lord as we once were. And Christianity's just boiled down to a routine, a box to tick on a Sunday. Friends, we need to be amazed again. And we need to rediscover the love that we had at first. How, how do we do that? We come back to the one who made us alive in the first place. If we've lost our first love, we need to come back to our first love. And we need to see him again. And we need to hear him again. And we need to love him again. And we need to laugh again in his presence with this laughter as amazement. Lord, you're just as amazing now as you were when I first believed. You're just as amazing now as when you first convicted me of my sin. That's where we need to go, isn't it, as a church? Friends, that's where we need to be. Well, second, I want us to see the promise made concerning Ishmael. Uh, Look at verse 9. It says, But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. And there is some ambiguity here, but most think it's a laugh of ridicule and scorn. Verse 10, So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of this son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. A house divided cannot stand. But two houses built next door to one another can stand. And that's what God was promising here. This casting out of Hagar didn't mean the end of Hagar. It didn't mean the end of Ishmael. It just meant a relocation of Hagar and of Ishmael as well. God had a plan for them. And even though Abraham and Hagar's relationship was a gross act of unbelief, an awful incident in the life of Abraham, and even though Ishmael was born of of an illegitimate relationship, God had a plan nonetheless. And this is what theologians call God's common grace. Psalm 145 says, The Lord is good to all. 
And his mercy is over all that he has made. It's over those who hate him. And it's over those who love him. It's over those who scorn him. And over those who praise him. And Jesus said, For he, God, makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. But friends, far more than common grace belongs to us in Jesus Christ. I really am concerned that so many believers today would say that we Gentiles resemble Ishmael more than we do Isaac because we are not full-blooded descendants of both Abraham and Sarah. But if we have Abraham's faith, we have more than common grace, we have full citizenship in the kingdom of God. Why? Because special grace made us that way. Not only common grace, but special grace given us access right into the heart of the people of God. There are no second class citizens in the kingdom of God. What does Paul say in Romans 9? He says, I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, the Jews, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are our Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race according to the flesh is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring, but... Genesis 21, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, Genesis, or Genesis 18, about this time next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. We are first class citizens. There, are, there is no other type of citizen in the kingdom of God. How then are we to live? What is a, a consistent lifestyle with this first class citizenship? What does it look like? It looks like freedom. Where am I getting that? I'm getting that from our reading right at the beginning of our service. We don't have time to go back and read it all now. But Paul argued, didn't he, from that passage in Galatians 4, that since we Gentile believers are fully justified in Christ, we are not to enslave ourselves to a system that could never give to us the freedom that it commanded by law-keeping. Because instead, in Christ Jesus, we are free. And that's what it looks like, doesn't it, to live as believers in the 21st century. It looks like freedom. We're not going to entangle ourselves in legalism. We're not going to entangle ourselves in license to sin, but instead we are going to enjoy our freedom in Christ all day long. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Well, thirdly and lastly, I want us to see the promise kept to Ishmael. Look at verse 15 again. Again, It says, when the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bow shot, for she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. 
And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So because God had promised that, that Ishmael would become a great nation, God intervened here and ensured that he did not, would not die of thirst. Remember, Ishmael means God hears. And as Ishmael cries out and as Hagar cries out to the Lord in this awful situation, God did hear and God did respond. Why? To ensure that all of his promises would come to pass and be fulfilled in his life. That's why. You remember Psalm 107, it says, Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He, he led them by a straight way till they reached the city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. That was Hagar, that was Ishmael. And by faith in Jesus Christ, that is us too. And, 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 and this is what I want us to see tonight, that if God kept his promise to the children of the flesh, then how much more will he keep his promises to the children of promise. How much more? If, if in Galatians chapter 4, Ishmael represents works of the flesh because he came about by human ingenuity, human effort, then how much more will God keep his promises to the children born of the Spirit, born of God, born of promise altogether? If Jesus shed his blood and endured the wrath of God, against our sin, to make us children of God. And if children then heirs, and heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, will he not graciously with him give us all things? Well, answer, yes, he will. He'll give to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Give to us all things that we need to do all that God has called us to do, to be all that God has called us to be, to say all that God has called us to say, to go to the places that God has called us to go. You'll give us everything, everything we need. A couple of months now, uh, Ada sat down at her little desk and she wrote this handwritten note to all of our neighbors and Gloria photocopied it loads of times and Ada went about putting it through all of their doors and it was an invitation to a little sale outside of our house, 50p for homemade lemonade, 50p for homemade cookies. And just so you all know, all of the money went to Charles Thompson Mission. It didn't go to Ada. <laughs> uh, little entrepreneur, maybe. But people came, and amazingly, most of the street showed, out, showed up. And they put their orders in. And when I received the orders, and when I received their money, I gave to them what I had promised them. I gave to them exactly what the invitation 
had promised, you give me this much, I'll give to you this much. If I kept my promise to my neighbors, how much more will I keep my promises to both of my girls? And again, if God could be trusted to give to Ishmael all that he promised to give him, then how much more will he fulfill all of his promises in our life? Since now we are in Christ Jesus, counted and found in the beloved, bought with his blood, filled with his spirit, adopted into the very family of God. And when you believe that, friends, it changes everything about your life. Changes everything about it, past, present, and future. You, you follow me, don't you, through the book of Acts Sunday morning, and you wonder to yourself, how on earth did these people take the gospel from Jerusalem to all Judea, to all Samaria, to the ends of the earth? How did they do it? They did it because they were there to hear Jesus say, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And they were there to hear Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and all Samaria until the ends of the earth. If Jesus has said it, we can trust him. And we can carry on. And we can obey him. I was sharing with one of you recently that when I was 19 years old, just started to preach. I was never nervous before preaching. I was just so confident. Get up there. Thought I was eloquent. Blah, blah, blah. And I told you, I go to the community center now every Sunday with fear and much trembling, shaking, hands shaking, because of how unworthy I feel for the task ahead. How, how do I get there? How do I do what God has called me to do? Well, simply by repeating the words over and over and over again, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. For I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And since that is true, I can obey. And I can do what God has called me to do. And since that is true for you, children of Abraham, children of the promise, go therefore and live like it's true because it is. Say you're struggling tonight with the love of money. It's not that you actually really love money. It's just because you're facing the cost of living crisis and all of a sudden money feels much more precious to you than it did this time last year. And, and you're struggling to have that open hand. And it's a struggle not to want to hold on to it all so much more with a clenched fist. But then you remember Hebrews 13 verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that since we have in him a greater possession, then we can be the people God has called us to be when it comes to money. And we can give the way we're supposed to give when it comes to money. Friends, get a promise for every danger, toil and snare in your life. And stand on it so that when the trials and the waves and the winds and the storms come, your house will be just fine because you're founded on the rock. To come full circle, let me quote my best mate Spurgeon. My brethren, God is good. 
He will not forsake you. He will bear you through. There is a promise prepared for your present emergencies. And if you will believe and plead it at the mercy seat through Jesus Christ, you shall see the hand of the Lord stretched out to help you. Everything else will fail, but his word will never fail. He has been to me so faithful in countless instances that I must encourage you to trust him. And Genesis 21 does the same, doesn't it? Because it tells us this, God keeps his promises. Amen. Amen. Amen.